people, got to talk with a lot of people, and it's always, it's always just a good, good moment, a good event, good time kind of thing. So, so thank you to everybody that showed up and helped. Uh, we, we can't do it by ourselves, and uh, it, it was made successful with that. And for all of you that, that uh, signed up, this was the beginning of the year, signed up on the, on the signs we put up here to be part of outreaches, we're going we're gonna to send you emails and let you know. I know we have another one coming up in August sometime. Uh, we'll let you know to solicit you to have you join us and be out here with us uh, at the park. It's just right up here. And it was, like I said, it was a lot of, a lot of fun. I, <clears throat> I wanted to take a, a few minutes here and acknowledge um, some people. They, they've been moving. I say that because it's, it's, it's a process. Uh, they've been moving for a while. And uh, they're here this week alone, and they are now uh, leaving us. And it's, it's not that, um, that we, you know, make a big deal with, with people that, that um, come and go out of the church or those kind of things. I mean, that's, ha- that, that's normal. That happens. But I wanted to do, make a little bit of a big deal with this with Tom and Rena, just because they, um, they do so much. They're just so heavily involved and, and connected and, and for years and years have just week in, week out, done things. And that may seem like, oh, that's nice. It's, it's more than that. It makes the church go forward. Without people like Tom and Rena, the church doesn't go forward. And uh, we don't accomplish the things that need to be accomplished. And, and, the, and Rena teaching the, the same class, little kids, year after year after year, you know, that takes a, a special calling to be able to accomplish that. It's not just, hey, I think I could do this a little bit, but just to stay in there and dig in and say, I'm going to do this. I committed myself to this, and I'm going to do this. And so I wanted to, um, to acknowledge them, and why don't you guys come up here? <clears throat> we got them a, a card. It's a thick card. Feels like something's in it. I don't, I don't know. I probably approved it, but I don't know it's in there. But, uh, but uh, we also have friends. I mean, they're just friends, and they're, they're close to many people in the church, and we just want to acknowledge the fact that they've just done a lot over the years and uh, committed themselves. And as they move up <clears throat> to the Northwest, that they're going to do the same thing. They're going to jump in somewhere up there and, and uh, get involved and do things because it's who they are. And uh, like I said, it's people like them that really accomplish the, the, the task and the vision, the vision of the church. And so, so why don't you stand with us? And anybody that wants to, you can come up here and join us. And I did want to give you this card this time. This service, you can actually take it with you. <clears throat> anybody that wants to, join us up here. And uh, you can lay hands on them, hug them, whatever you need to do. Hold hands with Tom. I don't Jeff, maybe you could do that little finger thing with Tom as you hold hands. I don't know. I don't know if you want to. But uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for uh, Tom and Rena. We thank you for just their heart, just their willingness to serve, to serve you and to serve people here at Briargate. Lord, so many children that have come through that Rena has been the center of their world. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. We, we, we honor that. We acknowledge that, that um, the, the faithfulness for Tom being here week after week, running sound, working in the, the music, playing music, uh, an instrument. God, that, the, that these things carry us forward. And uh, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for their heart and their attitude just to, just to do, just to keep doing, keep doing. And uh, God, we know that you acknowledge this, and we ask you to anoint them as they continue forward. Wherever they land, Lord, that you're, that you're going to do some really big things with them and uh, in that local fellowship. And God, we thank you for all of this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> this is it. They are 
Last time they're going to be with us ever. Um, I did also want to mention we've got some uh, Bibles up here. A couple of things with this. The, the, the gold books in the middle are the one-year Bible. It's the message by um, Eugene Peterson. And so what that means, the reason I'm saying that is because um, uh, the message is a paraphrase. It's a, great, it's a great way to read Scripture, but it's not a translation. It's a, it's a paraphrase. So you just got to kind of keep that in mind. Um, like it's not something you use to do a, an in-depth study kind of thing. Use it to colorful commentary along the way. Um, but it's a great way to go through the Bible and read it. Uh, Eugene Peterson did a great job with this, and it's a one-year Bible. So you can come up and grab one of these after the service. They're free. Just grab it. Take it with you. The white ones on the sides um, are devotional. Same thing. Eugene Peterson put this together as devotional uh, to go along with the Bible. So you can grab uh, those um, at the end of service. I was about to say you could grab them now, but no, don't do that. Wait till afterwards. Uh, I want to. I want to. Um, I want to look at a subject this morning. It's it just. It's been milling around in my spirit for the last two or three months. And and normally, if you if you know how I do things, I, I don't normally. Usually, for me to speak a message, it's I've been working on it for months and months and months, and and um, potentially some things I, I work on for years and put them into a series and stuff like that. And, I don't do like spur of the moment kind of subjects. Um, not normally. Every now and then I do. But this is this is as spur of the moment normally as I'm going to get. This is in the last few weeks of something I've really been processing for a few months uh, to to come out with. And and, and part of the, part of the reason with this. So the last six months, nine months, I've really been talking a lot about um, what it means to be all in with God, your purpose, your calling, those kind of things. That what does it mean when, if I if I'm going to say that I serve Jesus? What does that really mean? What does that mean in, in action? What does that mean in attitude? What does that mean in, in, um, in just the direction of my life? Oh, oh, I did want to mention one other thing before I forget. Um, so the, the announcement said the journey is tonight at my house. We, we've talked about this, uh, Lynn and I, that we're not going to have the journey tonight. <clears throat> the reason is because we don't have air conditioning in our house. Most of the time, that <laughs> most of the time it never matters but the last week, I think the paint was running down the wall of our house. Um, the, you know, I feel like the flames were licking our feet. So I don't want to do that to anybody. Uh, and it could, even though we did have a cold front come through, uh, I don't know how cold it's going to be tonight. And so we'll just, we'll not do it this month. And uh, we'll pick it back up when it's really, really cool in August. <clears throat> So in looking at all this with, with purpose and direction and calling and all these kind of things, I, I've, I've been having a lot of conversations. I mentioned right at the end of the service last week some, some things that are, that, are, that are really a lot of issues that are going on in church, a lot of things that, that, that we're dealing with, we're struggling with, addictions, a lot of things that are happening within our, our uh, church body. And, um, and these, are, these are things that are, this is part of life. It doesn't, it doesn't mean our church is like... Um, horrible or something like that. This is normal. This is, this is why there is a church. This is why, there, this is why Jesus doesn't just immediately um, take us when he saves us because there's, there's, there's life. We're living this out. There's a lot of things that are going, a lot of, a lot of issues that people in our church are dealing with. Now, <clears throat> that, that's not necessarily the motivation for where I'm going with this. In fact, it's not at all. The motivation is the conversations I've been having with a lot of these people over a while. <clears throat> 
Okay. Um, I did have some questions a- after service last week. So there really is all that stuff going on. I didn't even mention a, a, a small, I just mentioned a very small percentage of stuff that's happening within the, the lives and the family of the people of our church. There's a lot of stuff going on. Um, the, the, you'll know about a tiny little percentage depending on how many relationships you have and how deeply those relationships go. Okay, <clears throat> this, I'm not saying this in a judgmental way. I'm just saying this, this is the way that it is. You probably should process this. If you don't know of anything going on with anybody in our church, it's because you're not engaging with people. They're actually getting, I don't mean like, hey, how you doing? It's good to see you this week. Oh, you look nice and leave and then come back next week. I'm saying really engage with people, really try to live life out and go deeper into life. And, and what I've been pushing so hard lately with accountability partners and things like that, the, <clears throat> if, if, you, if, you have a, if you have one, two, three accountability partners, then you are dealing with issues in life. But that's because that's because what we as humans do, we have issues. And so um, with all of that, the reason that I'm going to kind of jump into this this morning is because of the conversations that I have been having because of this. And the basic consistency of the conversations is, or the thread throughout all of them, is this. Uh, I am no longer qualified to do something for God because of whatever of sin issues or whatever. I'm no longer qualified. You don't know my life. I've heard that a bazillion times over the years. Well, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my life or whatever. Um, it's, it's interesting how easily we allow Satan to uh, discourage us and derail us. And, and there's a lot of things that God has planned for us. There's a lot of things he wants us doing. And interestingly, God's not the one who disqualifies us. Sin does not disqualify you from accomplishing something in God. There, there, are, there, are, um, there are responsi- there, there's accountability issues that come along with, with uh, sin. In other words, there are results of sin that happen, but it doesn't disqualify you. Let, let's, go to, let's go to Judges chapter 13. And this is the story of Samson. Probably the, the one of, if not the most tragic stories in the, in the Bible. Just, just horribly tragic. God does so much with Samson, and Samson does so little in return. And, and it, it just seems like Samson works as hard as he can his entire life to do the wrong thing. He works at it. He works at he's He's very good at sin and rebellion. He's good at it. He works hard at it. But there's some things that are, that are interesting I want to show us. And starting the very uh, beginning of this story of Samson in Judges 13, Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. Now, this opening sentence is important because it does set some stage for some things that I think is important for us um, as a church to remember. There are, there are results of sin. There are, there are, there are God's results and, and natural results that come along with sin. That doesn't... I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some other things we go along with this. But, but I don't want you to misunderstand as I'm going through this and saying this is what God can do or whatever the case is, that somehow sin doesn't have an effect on our life. It does. It, it affects us deeply. It affects us greatly. And it, and it messes up a lot of things. Satan is trying to get us to, to uh, go against God. There, Satan is trying to get us to disobey what God has said. He's trying to get us to live by our own ideas and flesh because he knows he can win if that's the case. He can take you out if, you, if he can convince you that, that his plan or, or what you think is your plan is the best plan, he can defeat you. 
That, it's important to keep that in mind. And even though I'm going to talk about some of this, um, what God can do afterwards, it's, it, it's, it's important to remember their effects of sin. I, I've had this conversation with many people in uh, prisons and jails over the years where they, they get saved in jail, which my experience is everybody gets saved in jail, but some people legitimately, they, it's a real thing. They really do get saved. They really do let Jesus be in charge of their life. And then I have, I've had conversations many times with people over the years. Well, I'm a Christian now. Why isn't God getting me out of here? Well, because those are two different things. It's not that God can't. And I have seen, seen God do some pretty big miracles in getting people out of jail and prisons and things like that. But, but there's still um, consequences to sin. You, you make decisions and there are consequences. There's consequences for everything, good and bad. There are consequences, and we have to learn that that is a reality. This is, this is something we're losing as a society today is the true consequences of our actions. You do something, there's a consequence. We like to blame it on everything. Everybody else is wrong. Everything. Society. Somebody has, has done something wrong to get me uh, into this place I'm at. And then you have the conversation with like, well, how did you get to jail? Well, I, had a, I held up a gas station with a gun. And, and that's somebody else's fault that you're here, right? Now, with that, even though there are consequences to sin, I was, I was standing in a court years ago. I'd been testifying for this guy. And... and um, and the judge looked at me, and he was very respectful. He wasn't being negative. He says, you're, you're a pastor. You're supposed to be talking about grace and mercy. You're supposed to be caring and loving and helping people and all that kind of stuff, right? Yes, sir. He says, I'm a judge. I'm just supposed to judge. I couldn't argue with that. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't supposed to. In fact, the problem we have right now in our country that's really rampant is judges are becoming uh, decision makers, rather than looking at the law and saying this is right or wrong according to the law. All they're supposed to do is look at the law. They're not supposed to interpret the law. They're supposed to look at the law, boom. That's what it says. And that's what he said. And I thought, you know, that's legitimate. The reason that some people are in jail is because they've done things wrong. Now, with all of that said, the conversation that I have next oftentimes is, well, I can't, whatever, I can't be who God has asked me to be. I can't do what he's told me to do. Because of this that I've done. And then we start giving all kinds of things that, that disqualify. So verse 2, he says, In those days a man named Manoah from the tribe of Dan lived in the town of Zorah. His wife was unable to become pregnant and they had no children. The angel of the Lord appeared to Manoah's wife and said, Even though you have been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and give birth to a son. So this is going to be... Uh, a supernatural thing, more than... Now, I believe every time a child is conceived, it's a miracle. I think it's a supernatural thing. Uh, it doesn't really make sense. I know science says, well, this is how it works. It does, God's the one who does that, right? God's the, the one that makes that, that supernatural moment happen. But the other side of that is, this is like a, a, a God is doing something more than just the miracle of conception. He's telling her, I'm going to give you a child. This, there's a purpose for this child. This is, not, this, is, this is not just you have a baby, but I'm supernaturally doing this. And then he said to her, so be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink, nor eat any forbidden food. This is part of her covenant here. This is just, a, I pick on drinking every now and then. Just, so I'm going to do it again. Um, this is just something to process. Almost any time in Scripture when they had a covenant that really involved God doing something supernatural and consecrated, no alcohol was involved. That was part of the, that's part of what God asked of them. I just, 
I just think that's interesting because the, the church fights so hard nowadays that we have a right to drink. You've got a right to do anything. But it's interesting that anytime there was a covenant with God involved, there was a no drinking mentality. That's a whole other thing. So, so that was her part of this. And then he says in verse 5, You will become pregnant and give birth to a son. His hair must never be cut. For he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Even though God had allowed them to go into slavery the Philistines and been persecuted, he was also going to deliver them out of that. And that's the whole concept of the story. In fact, that's the, that's the whole concept of the Bible, really, is we, we get ourselves in a, in, in a mess, in a problem because of sin. Started with an Adam and Eve. They messed up everything for everybody. And then we continue to do the same thing uh, generation after generation. And God, we, we, we always get ourselves into the effects and the consequences of sin. There's judgment that some of it is God naturally doing some things. And some of it is just sin. Sin has consequences to it. There, there's, a, there's a great sentence in Proverbs where it says, a man shouldn't sleep with another man's wife because he could die. That's called natural consequences. Right? We don't think about this kind of stuff. There, there, there are God judgment kind of things, and then there are just, God has, has established laws that are consistent for all of us. And, and these, this, this story of, of Samson is this kind of thing where God has established something. He says right here that he will be dedicated, Samson will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth, and he will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. Now, here's the interesting part that doesn't, it doesn't really connect with me totally because it's, it's, too, uh, it's too tactical, it's too physically directed, and to me there needs to be a, a more spiritual whatever. But, but God is directly connecting this covenant to Samson's hair. After people say, well, the hair was just the, just the spiritual symbol of what God was doing, except that it was not just a spiritual symbol. There was a literal physical thing with his hair, that his hair was, was the essence of the covenant. In fact, you, you couldn't say that it was some kind of representation of a spiritual thing. Totally, I mean, there is that in, in it. Because Samson never really lived for God. He was, he was rebellious and disobedient his entire life. And he squandered everything that God was trying to do with him to rescue the, the, the Israelites from the Philistines. He was constantly doing the wrong thing. He was, he was as, as a promiscuous as you can He slept around with all kinds of women, got prostitutes, all kinds of stuff. Anytime he got a chance, he rebuked. He, he rejected anything that God was trying to do with him. He, was, he, he attacked his... His uh, parents manipulatively, not overtly, but through all kinds of things. He undermined God every single step of his life, but he still had supernatural strength. So this wasn't just a representation of something physical. It was, I mean, spiritual. This was a physical thing because the moment they cut his hair, he lost his strength. He lost the anointing that God used for, for physical power, physical strength. And he did some amazing, like, like superhero strength kind of stuff. But it was directly related to his hair. It wasn't just a spiritual thing. He wasn't following God, but as long as he had his hair, he was good. In fact, I'll read this in a little bit later. But they cut, they cut his hair. He loses his strength. Eventually, his hair goes back. And his strength comes back. It's directly related to his hair. Because... This is the way that, that God set the covenant up. Now you say, uh, what does that have to do with us? This, this, this is hugely important for us. 
Because there are times when we're, we're, now, there are some differences in the story of Samson that would be, you know, pre-cross and post-cross. But I'm just going to kind of jump over some of that. I mean, there is grace and mercy and, and, and relationship with God, all the stuff after the cross that really go deeper than, than the way we understood it in the Old Testament. But here's the reality. God said to, to Samson, this is what I'm going to give you. I'm going to give you a talent, ability, a gift, strength. I'm going to give you strength. It's going to be supernatural strength. And no matter what you do in your life, that's you. No matter whether you follow me or don't follow me, that's you. Now, now why is that important? Because God does the same thing with us. In fact, he tells us that when he gives us gifts, they're, they're never to be taken away. He makes you who you are. He gives you talents and abilities. He gives you um, the, the essence of you, and he doesn't ever take that away from you. Now, the reason that that becomes important for us as we move forward is because sometimes we're really tracking with God, and we're being obedient to him. We're doing what he's told us to do, and we're doing that in relationship with him. Sometimes we fall from that. Um, we go our own path. Now, in a, in a salvation, there's two sub sides to this, salvation and then the understanding of, of who we are and what God has designed us for. Now, I don't believe at any, and I know that certain parts of the church world believe this. I, I believe they're completely wrong. Um, the idea that there is unconditional eternal security or what we call once saved, always saved. I don't believe that. In fact, a couple years ago, I was sitting at a breakfast with a guy and, and a group of guys, and, and, this, and I was talking about this and, and talking about when I get, walked away from God, I was saved as a child. I served God until my teenage years, walked away from God, went to the Navy, did all this stuff. And he said, yeah, but you would have still gone to heaven if you would have died at that point. I said, no, I wouldn't have. You, you can build some kind of theology that makes you feel good, but I know who I was. I know who I was in God, and I was not serving God. I was thumbing my nose at anything that had to do with God. I was working on sinning. I was working on anything that this was, anything I was told in the church growing up, I did that. If I was told, don't do that, I did it. I knew, I knew I was walking in complete rebellion, and I knew I would not have made heaven if I would have died at that point. Now, that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about when he says that he gives you who you are, and he never takes that back. And I believe also he gives you your calling. Now, there's a general calling with all of us that we have. We're supposed to serve God. We're supposed to tell people about Jesus. I just had this conversation with somebody this last week. They were, they were talking with somebody else about the understanding of witnessing, and somebody said to them that not everybody is called to witness. Guys, do not believe that. Every human being is called to witness. The Great Commission is for all of us. He did not say, go and preach the gospel if you fall into these following categories. He said, go preach the gospel. Telling people about Jesus is everybody's responsibility, all of our responsibility. Serving God, worshiping God, everybody's responsibility. I believe very strongly the scripture in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, where it says that, that um, before you were born, while you were still in the womb, God called you, set you apart to be a voice of prophecy or a voice of God to the nations. I believe that's every single one of us. Every human has that. And so there are certain things that are general for all of us, and then there are certain things that are specific for each one of us. And when God creates you, he designed you specifically to accomplish his calling. I don't think that ever goes away. Gifts and abilities, I don't think that ever goes away. He has those things. But what we do is we look at what we do, attitude of our heart at different times, and we, we take a, 
um, relationship with God category, and we say, okay, God, I'm not serving you. So when I come back to serve you, I am now disqualified for what you created me to do because I didn't serve you. I sinned. I walked away from you. I did all this. I mean, I've heard every excuse over the years. You don't know how bad I've been. You don't know what. This is interesting to me. Um, yes, tomorrow is my birthday. I'm turning 40. And I, I, as, I, as I approach 50 very quickly, um, this is something that's interesting. Years ago when I was, when I was in my 20s, I would think about things like this. I have, I have done so many horrible things, and, and um, God, I, you can't use me or that kind of stuff. Now I have that conversation with people that are in their 20s, and I'm almost 50. And it sounds weird when a 25-year-old says, you don't know how many horrible things I've done. I'm like, you've got lots of years to do worse stuff than that. You're just getting started being a horrible human. That doesn't usually lift people up, so I don't go that direction. But do you understand what I'm saying? This, this is why when Paul says at the end of his life, end of his life, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. This is not some kind of fake humility or, 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 or faux uh, uh, deprecation or something like that. He is literally saying, the longer I live, the more I realize how sinful I am. And how, what the potential I have to do the horrible things of life. And the, the people that I've hurt and relationships that I've messed up and things that I've done wrong. I know, I know how much of a sinner I am. But see, we like to put uh, church people, specifically church leadership, up on these pedestals where they're like superhuman. And the reason, the reason that they're so amazing is because they are just, they've just been walking with God so long that they've graduated into perfection. That's why when you have a minister fall, when you have a missionary fall, when you have a church leader fall, it devastates the church so much. Not because of something they did, which yes, they fell, they sinned, they made a mistake, they did whatever. They were wrong. Okay. But the reason that it devastates the church so much is because we put them on too big of a pedestal to begin with. That's why it hurts everybody so much. Paul was making sure everybody knew, look, I know what sin is, and I know how easy it is for me to be involved in this. As it's, Satan, Genesis says Satan is always crouching at our door looking for a way to mess with us. Always, always, always. That's in Genesis. That's the beginning of this story. There, there is... There is this moment when Satan is going to try to take us out long-term by having us do something short-term. In other words, we engage in something that is harmful to us, harmful to those around us, hurts our relationship with God, and we now are defined by that. The same kind of concept of the guy in prison. The guy in prison that gets saved, he doesn't have to be defined by being the guy in prison. But it's interesting. I've met people that have been out of prison for 15 years. In their head, they're still this horrible prisoner person. That's how they define themselves. Well, you don't have to define yourself that way. Here's the interesting thing. When you let Jesus forgive you, cover you with his blood and cleanse you, you are instantly forgiven and qualified. Instantly qualified to do what God has called you to do. But we convince ourselves we can't because we got to work towards some kind of level of holiness or, or, or grow in this so that we can be worthy you're never, ever going to be worthy in God's estimation of worthiness because God's too big, too holy, too majestic. He qualifies us because he has created us to be that. 
He qualifies us because we're his creation, not because of something that we can do to earn it or we have done or haven't done. We, just because we sin does not mean that we are disqualified forever to do ministry. It doesn't mean that we can't pray with people or, or, or work in people's lives. or do. It doesn't mean that. Now, there is, again, you go back to the prison mentality, there are some natural consequences to, um, to uh, sinning. An example, there was this um, lady that we had worked with back in the years, my wife and I, that her husband had, had abused her, quite a bit abused her. And then he got saved, and I, and I really do believe he was genuinely saved. And, uh, and he stopped beating her. But that doesn't mean that she just opened her door immediately and said, come on back in. And, and I encouraged her strongly, don't do that. Let him prove himself to you. Over but he's saved now. Let himself prove to you he's not going to beat on you. That doesn't make sense to immediately go back. Part of the reason is he had done this about 10 times before. He'd gotten saved 10 times before, still beat her. Now, it was years that he... I mean, he did good. He didn't abuse her after that. But you don't just immediately start trusting somebody just because Jesus, they say Jesus saves them. You don't know whether Jesus has really saved them. Jesus does, but you don't. So there are some trust issues. There are some, when the guy's in prison, just because he gets saved doesn't mean he gets out of prison, right? Now with that, we say, okay, how does that work with the difference between going, doing ministry and not doing ministry? Here's the interesting thing with Samson. God's calling and God's power and his anointing to accomplish his will was on his life, his entire life. It, it, it didn't change until, until Samson destroyed the covenant of the, of the ministry thing, not his relationship. He didn't serve God at all. Guys, this is where it just gets a little confusing. There are certain things that God has said in Scripture that are consistent whether we're serving him or not. I'll give you the easiest one to, to analyze is the concept of finances. When he says that if we tithe, that he will take care of us financially, that applies whether or not you're a Christian, whether you're a Christian or not. And I know this because I did this. When I was in the Navy, I wasn't serving the Lord. I was tithing because I was scared not to. But I, I was tithing, and God took care of me financially. There are certain laws, God's laws of sowing and reaping, that are consistent whether you're serving God or not serving God. It's God's laws of reciprocity, which is more of the financial kind of thing. Those laws apply whether you're serving God or not. There are certain laws that God has established, like gravity. Gravity's going to work whether you're a Christian or not, right? There are certain laws that God has set up that are going to happen regardless. Now, some of these things fall in the category of God's calling for you. God's design for you. He's called you, and he wants to use you. You hinder that and, and debilitate that when you're sinning and you're not serving God. Yes. But what we do is then we say, okay, Jesus, forgive me. Cover me with your blood. And he does that. He forgives us. And then we stay mentally over here. We're, no, we're still handicapped. We're still handcuffed, debilitated. And we can't do ministry now because, well, I, I was just a sinner yesterday. Okay? But if Jesus forgives you and, and, and makes you right with him then do what he's called you to do. Well, it doesn't work that easy. Yes, it does. Our human brain tells us it doesn't work that easy. We stay locked up in prison because that's where we got ourselves. And Jesus is saying, but I've called you to do this and to do this. Well, I can't do that stuff, God. I can't do that stuff. Yes, you can. The Holy Spirit will anoint you to do what he's called you to do. And, and here's interesting. 
This is a part I, I, don't, I really don't understand it, but I do see it happen. I see it happen all the time. I've seen people do legitimate, viable ministry the way God has designed them, and they're not even Christians. I don't understand that. That does not make sense to me, but I've watched it happen. This is, this is why when people ask about like ministers that have done all this stuff, and then they have a moral failure, or they fall, and all that kind of stuff, but, but they, were, they, were, they were having this affair, let's say, for 20 years. But, but all this other stuff was happening. Why? Because they were still ministering the Word of God, and the Word of God is perfect regardless of the voice that says it. Salvation is a true message regardless of who verbalizes it. God's plan, God's Word, God's redemption, God's miracles, those are still true regardless of who is verbalizing it. And when God has given people certain abilities to accomplish certain things, then they can do that regardless of whether they're serving God or not serving God. Now you say, are you trying to convince us to do ministry not serving God? That is the, not what I'm trying to say. What I'm trying to say is, when you are serving God, don't disqualify you because the ministry, the, the, the side of God, I mean, the, the side of you that God has designed, the elements of you that God has designed to minister to people are always there. They never go away. What happens is Satan wants to convince you that once you've marred that somehow or once you've gone against God, and, and we do that as human beings, that now all of those other things that God has created with you and done with you, they're no longer there, that you've disqualified yourself from anything God wants you to do. It's the concept of a musician. Whether a musician is serving God or not, God has given them the ability to create music. Whether they serve God or not with it. But the cool thing is, is when they get saved and they begin to use what God has designed for them that was a gifting that they were already good at, and now they're using it for him. That's the amazing thing. But I've talked to musicians as an example. I've talked to musicians. They give their heart to the Lord, and they played in bars for years or whatever the case is, and they say, well, I can't play by music for God. It's too, it's too uh, messed up. It's been too marred. No, it hasn't. If God can redeem your soul, he can redeem your ability. And he can do it, and this is the key. He can do it instantaneously. You don't have to work toward it. He can do it instantly. Now, we see Samson's life, all this stuff. Samson, bad things, bad things, bad things. Always doing the wrong thing. Then he finally takes it to the very bottom for him, to the very bottom of this, and he tells um, Delilah the... Um, the, the secret to his hair, right? And the hair, is, the hair is the part of the covenant. That's where strength is coming from, so she cuts his hair. I've often wondered about this. One second, he's, he's, he can, you know, I can lift a car off the ground. And literally, according to the, what we see in Scripture, a car would have been light compared to some of the things that he did in Scripture. When he tore the gates off the city and carried them for about 10 or 12 miles, that would have been the equivalent of about four cars, this is supernatural. This is not human strength, and everybody knew it, okay? But he wasn't do, using it for God, but either way. So, so the idea that one moment he can lift a car off the ground, they cut his hair, the next moment he can't. I would like to have seen him at the, when he got, when the revelation of what had happened hit him. One moment, supernatural strength doing all kinds of things, um, pulling the people out of slavery from the Philistines, all this other stuff, although he was doing it his way. And then instantly, he can't even fight one guy that's coming in the room. He could kill thousands before that, but he couldn't even fight one guy. 
They take him into slavery. And that's, let's jump down to Judges 16. That's where we catch up with this. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza where he was bound with bronze chair, chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. This sentence is, is crazy awesome. But before long, his hair began to grow back. How awesome is that statement? It has, it has nothing to do with whether he was serving God or not. Did he need to be serving God? Yes, he did, because that was the key to the whole thing. Samson wasted most of his life because he didn't do it God's way. He did it his way. All the things that God had planned, he didn't, he didn't even go down those roads. But interestingly, he still had the strength. He still had all the stuff. And now, he, 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 the strength's taken away because they cut his hair. You know, if I'm the Philistines, I shave his head every day. Right? Think about that. They shave his head and like, we won! Put him in it's like his hair still grows. See, here's the thing that I want you to own right now, is no matter what is going on in life, your hair is always growing. Right? That is profound. But think about this from a spiritual level. God never stops growing what he has created for you to be and to do. Even if you're not serving him, even if you're rejecting rebellion, your hair's still growing. He's still doing the stuff. He's still doing the things. And instantaneously, if you say, God, I want to belong to you, he will immediately begin to use you again in those ways. Because your hair... I said something like that differently, but something like that years ago, and this bald guy came up to me after service, and he said, my hair stopped growing a long time ago. And I said, if we were just talking on your head, I guess that works, but am I right or wrong? You got hair growing all over your body in ways you didn't before. Nose, ears toes. He's like, touche. You won this round. <laughs> Guys, you got, your hair never stops growing. God has is, God is always got a plan for your tomorrow. God has always got a plan for your tomorrow. He always does, but you've got to embrace it. If you just, see, even as we read through this, Samson still embraced it. Now, he still had a very defeatist mentality we're going to see as he unfolds this, but at least he embraced enough. God can use me. Look at this. Before, but before long, his hair began to grow back. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who killed so many of us is now in our power. I, I like the little sentence where it says, our God has given us victory over Samson. They may have beat Samson down, but they didn't win. And that's the key right there. Satan, life, sin, circumstance may beat you down, but it doesn't have to win. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So, they brought, they, so he was brought from prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was holding him by the hand, place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. <laughs> Yeah, let me throw something out here just to clear the, the, the theological air to make sure. When I was a kid growing up in Sunday school and stuff like that, I was always told that this little kid brought Samson up to the pillars, and Samson said, put my hands against the pillars that support the roof, yada, yada. And then he said, now, young boy, run away. Does anybody else remember that? When you were a kid, do you remember that part of the story being told? I was told that many, many times. And in fact, even in one of the little cartoon movies I saw, he says to the little boy, now run away. 
That's not in the story. But I guess it helped a second grade Sunday school teacher squelch all the, squelch all of the questions that were going to happen about the little boy. That brought, okay, I don't know if that's the reason, but place my hands against the, the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there, and there were some 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Solemn Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. I think that's an interesting, there was a whole lot more. That's all he could focus on was because they poked my eyes out. How many? What about all the other stuff? But I guess he was focused at that point. But So here's something that I just want to throw out here. I'm just pausing this. I, I'm, I, I can't prove any of this, but I just want you to think about it. What if Samson would have said, Lord, return to me my strength so I can be used again many, many, many times? Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Even at the last moment here, Samson had a little bit of a defeatist mentality. God, give me just one more shot. I'll go down with this. What if he would have said, God, give me 12 more shots? See, I, I think we do this to ourselves. even. God, I've, I haven't served you, and so if you just give me one more chance, and God's like, okay, I've got a whole life plan, and you just want one more chance. But, but human nature does this. And Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple, pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. I don't think you have to pray that. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than during his entire lifetime. Some basic things I want to I I push out there to us. The first thing is God never gives up on you. We give up on us, but God does not give up on you. You cannot disqualify yourself. You can stop what God is doing sometimes in your life by sinning, by walking away from him. Things. There's no doubt about that. You can get off the rails. But the moment you say, Jesus, I want to belong to you, you're back on the rails. Why? Because you're still the person he created with all the gifts and talents and abilities that he designed for you. But you've got to do this God's way, not your way. Understand that you cannot disqualify yourself. Now, let me say that differently. You can disqualify yourself, but you're not disqualified according to God. You're only disqualified according to you. What can God do with me? How does he want to do this? We think we have to work our way back into something, that we have to work our way back into his presence and his anointing. I've had so many conversations re- recently just about this subject. Well, you know, I, I know I, I walked away from God and I need to work my way back. There's no such thing. Now, you may have to fix uh, things. You may have to fix relationships. You may have to, you got to be accountable for stuff. There is consequences. I'm not, I'm not getting away from any of that. But who you are with God and what he's doing inside of you and what you can do to others, for others, with others, instantly God can use you again. We have this mentality, I've got to earn it. I've got to work my way back to that. No, your hair's always growing. Your hair's always growing. He's always got something. He's always got the next thing. The second part of this is, is get the sin out. This is an important part of this because this is how sin, Satan debilitates us. One of the things is... is um, one of the reasons that I think that he wants us to sin is because then it's easier for him to disqualify us later. And it's also easier for us to sin later. In other words, if, if, um, if you're in a group of people and you've done something wrong and everybody knows that you've done something wrong, that's part of the way they see you now, which makes it easier for you to do that again. 
anytime we do something wrong, it's easier to do that wrong thing again. I was having this conversation with my oldest son the other day. We're talking about dieting, and we're all about to go on a diet together as a family. And all. So, so um, we're talking about this, and, and he said, you know, I do really good for a long time, and this defines me completely. Do really, really good for a long time, but if you fall off the wagon one time, you're done. If I, if I fall off the wagon, I fall into a pile of donuts. I don't fall, I don't like take a bite of a donut. If I take one bite of one donut, I will eat a dozen donuts. Very comfortable, very easily eat a dozen donuts. I mean, I just start eating everything. I just, ah, a little puppy walks by, ah, you know, I just, whatever, I'm just going to eat everything. Because it, there's something about that that, that makes it easier. Well, this is how everybody sees me anyway. I've heard that many times over the years. This is how anybody sees me anyway. I might as well do this. Might as well do this. Satan will try to disqualify us this way. He will try to, to hinder us from being who we're supposed to be. This is part of the way I look at it. It's like um, getting shot with a bullet. I saw an old Western one time that had this, this uh, little dynamic with it. See, I get shot with a bullet as opposed to something else. And, and uh, the bullet gets right next to his spine, and they can't take the bullet out because it's near his spine. This was, I don't know, in the 1800s. And so they leave the bullet in, but the rest of his life he had this weird limp, and then his arm would go numb, and he couldn't shoot his gun right and stuff like that because there was a bullet inside of him. See, this is one I, 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 I believe very strongly in, in behavioral modification setups. In other words, things like AA and stuff like that, I believe very strongly in those. But you have to remember at the end of the day that those are behavior modifications. At the end of the day, the bullet is still in you. And this is where I, I agree with those plans. They do. This is one of the things we've lost in Christianity that I think is important. Behavior modification. Stop doing what you're doing. It's wrong. It's harmful. Stop it. That mentality needs to be brought back into Christian living. But, but that alone doesn't get it done. You can just stop doing the stuff, but, you, but there's still that bullet inside you. There's still that sin thing going on, that, the idea that um, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. I believe that until the Holy Spirit is allowed to be who he's supposed to be. Let me give you a scripture. Even though I, I do believe in the mentality of, of um, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, I also believe that the power of Jesus Christ is bigger than anything. And it says, the scripture tells us that when we get saved, that Jesus makes us a brand new creation in him. If you are a brand new creation, is that brand new creation an alcoholic? Do you see what I'm saying? There are, there are some natural things that are, that, that are conflicting with some spiritual understandings that we have, and we've got to vet that out. When it comes to understanding addictions and things like that, can, are you that person? Yes, until you let the Holy Spirit take the bullet out, and then you can actually be changed. And what we try to do in Christianity, in fact, we've embraced this, is as long as we're doing some of the behavior modification mentalities, like, like AA and stuff like that, then we let the Holy Spirit keep us from sinning. We ask the Holy Spirit to keep us from sinning or keep us from going back into the addiction or whatever the case is, instead of really getting before the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to do some deep surgery and change us. That's not a prayer moment. That's a, that's a time frame. That's a process. That takes a while to really let the Holy Spirit get in and work on some things and repent and all these other kind of things to change us. So the second part of this is, is get the sin out. Get it out. Now, the third part of this, I think, is, is vitally important. I'm going to show you a, a little video clip. This is from my favorite movie. I haven't shown one of these videos for a while. 
um, from this movie. But it's my favorite movie. It's Cool Hand Luke with Paul Newman. And there's a part of this. They're prisoners, chain gang in the, um, in the 60s, 50s, 60s, that kind of time frame, maybe a little bit earlier. And, um, and there's a bad guy played by George Kennedy. He's like this big bully, and he's picking on everybody, specifically Paul Newman. And uh, so then finally, one day, they decide to have a fight. They're going to fight it out. So they put on gloves, and uh, they begin to fight. And the concept of this is to keep getting up. Let's look at this. Stay down. Somebody ought to stop this thing. Stay down. You're beat. You don't have to kill me.
the, the line where he says right there, stay down your beat. This is going to have to kill me. I, I, I would like to see as Christians that we embrace that. Whatever the circumstances, Satan, you can beat me. You can beat me to a pulp. But you haven't won. I'm going to keep getting up. You can mess with my family. You can mess with my finances. You can mess with my, my workplace. But you will not defeat me because I'm going to keep getting up. And I believe the, the, the greatest strength that you have in life is never quitting. This, this was one of the biggest things that I pushed to my kids all their, their life growing up. Constantly push this, constantly push this. We're not quitters. Don't be a quitter. Don't be a quitter. There's a lot of things, but don't be a quitter. Because when you quit, you make the decision. When if you're a quitter, you're just a quitter. That's all you are. You're a quitter. It doesn't matter all the other stuff. You just quit. You gave up. That is completely determined by you. You say, well, no, this was out of this. But when you give up, that's the decision you make. Everything else can be decisions, other people, circumstances, all kinds of stuff can make about you. But you don't give up because that's your decision. Don't quit. No matter what Satan does to you, you keep getting up. No matter how he says you can't, you keep getting up. No matter how he says you're defeated. And I've, I've said this to Satan. You're going to have to kill me because I will not quit. God has called me to do this and to do this and to do, and I'm going to be who God has called me to be. This isn't about like a position. This isn't like um, I, I'm a pastor, it's, so I get paid to be a pastor. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about ministry where, where you're you, you just doing what God has created you to do, and you do that because he has called you, he's designed you, he's given you that, and praying with people, ministering to people, doing things. You don't give up. You never give up. You never just say, okay, I, I can't, whatever. I'm defeated. Financially, well, I'm defeated. Just keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Satan cannot win. All he can do is beat you up. But he can't win unless you give up. Then he wins. But the sad thing is, is he didn't really win. You just lost. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. We are pressed on every side by troubles. We're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. And you get knocked down a lot of different ways. Sometimes it's people, and this is where it's difficult for us to separate, is when, when Ephesians 6 and 2 Corinthians 10 and Romans says that we're not fighting against flesh and blood. Man, that's difficult when the person hitting you in the face is a human. My dad said this to me when I was a kid. It was, it was important for me at that time. I was, me and my brother were getting beat up all the time at this time of our life, just constantly just getting beat up, fights, 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 beat up. Not because I, wasn't, I didn't go out looking for fights. I never did that. It was, I, don't, I don't like to fight. Um, there's something about getting hit in the face that's not appealing to me. But my, my dad told me as a, as a, as a kid, because he was watching this start to happen. I mean, I was a kid. I was an early teenager. And he told me one time, he said, the, the best thing in a fight you can learn to do is take the punch and then punch back. Half of the, the defeat of your enemy 
is when you take the punch and you just stand there. That demoralizes people. The puncher doesn't feel as big anymore. Then the second one is then you punch, and you keep, and you keep. And this is the part where I, where I, I, I pray this, I process this mentally in my life. Satan, you can punch me right in the mouth, but you're not taking me out. You are not going to take me out. I will fight back. I will fight in prayer. I will fight in the word. I will fight in my attitude. I will fight in my holiness. I'm going to fight in every single way I can. And you can just keep punching and punching. And same thing with people. Sometimes people are going to try to hurt you. They're going to try to do things. Just don't give up. Just keep getting up. That's, that's, that, that is, that's the greatest thing you have on your side. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. You understand this is really all about Jesus. Every bit of this is about Jesus. Your life, my life, what we call the church, it's about Jesus. It's not just about what can I do today or how can I live. This is about Jesus. He gives you abilities for his glory. He gives you abilities to, to develop his kingdom. He gives you abilities and gifts and all these kind of things so that you can display him and his life. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus. So that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. This physicalness is temporary. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith that the psalmist said when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. How great is that sentence? I believe in God, so words came out of my mouth. I believe in God, so I said stuff about God. So I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And this is all for your benefit. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. That's, that's, that's a difficult sentence sometimes because when you're in the middle of the issues, they, they don't seem small. But eternity is so big, and we just have the opportunity now to just say, okay, God, I'm just going to keep getting up, and I'm going to keep fighting for you. I'm just going to keep doing this, keep doing this. So we don't look for the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on something that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Why don't you stand with me? The fourth part of this <clears throat> is what we're going to do right now. We're actually, we're just going to do a little tiny piece of this. But the fourth part of this is also let others help you get back up. And different personalities are different with this. Some of you naturally will allow people to help you and do some things. Some people won't. If you're one of the kind of people that don't naturally let people help you, stop it. Let people help you. This is a body of Christ. This is the, 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 the body together. We're all in this together. We need people to help us. I need you to help me. You need me to help you. We're just going to do a little small version of this right now. Nothing big. Um, we're not going to spread all across the room. Just two or three people right there. Don't go more than about three people. Okay? Just grab hands with the people that are standing right beside you. Don't, don't collect arms all the way across the church because you're going to pray for the people on your right and your left. And we're just going to pray. And you don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what's going on. You may not even know their name. This is just a tiny microcosm of a very big subject that is we're supposed to be here for each other. We need each other. You can't do this by yourself. You can't. And you gotta not, you gotta stop trying to do it by yourself. God, I just, I'm just, I'm just gonna, 
I'm going to open my heart. I'm going to open my spirit. I'm going to let people be there. I'm going to let people be involved. Okay? So you're just going to pray for the person beside you. Lord, we lift them up to you. God, they're your creation. You made them. You made them pretty amazing. God, help them to see it right now. God, you created them with gifts that nobody else has. Abilities and talents that it's not like anybody else on the planet. God, you designed us to do things that will help people know you. Lord, help us not wait until the last moments of our life like Samson and do this. God, help us start right now. Right now, today. God, you, you've got me. You've got me right where you want me. So I just repent. I get rid of the junk. I get rid of the sin that's messing with me. Lord, I want to step into ministry with you. Help me to minister to my next door neighbor, my coworker. In the name of Jesus. God, you've created us. And God, our hair is still growing right now. You created us to do big things. Lord, I pray against any mentality in this room right now that would somehow disqualify somebody from, from being used by you. Maybe even Maybe a mentality that people have that they can't even be forgiven because they've done too much. God, I rebuke that. Jesus, you didn't die on the cross to just forgive us a few times. You died on the cross to forgive us all the way up into eternity. Lord, help us to see it, embrace it. You didn't design us and create us just for maybe there's something unique about us. God, you designed us uniquely. Help us to step into the ministry and the things that you have for us. God, we thank you. We thank you. God, help us to keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. Keep getting back up. throw this out here for you. I just know from experience of doing this for a while, when I speak messages like this and you're processing, you're really letting God do some things, uh, Satan doesn't like this and he doesn't just roll over. So there's going to be some moments this week there's going to be some crossroads where you have to make a conscious decision about something. Do I really let you be in charge, God, or am I going to listen to Satan? Am I going to listen to this? I can't or I won't or I have to work toward some kind of relationship with God. There's going, to be, there's going to be those crossroads this week. Fight through those things in prayer. Fight through those things with God's word. And when you come on the other end, the other end is um, I can be used. God has designed me. I am special to him. I am forgiven. I can walk in that. Okay? There's going to be some conflict with some of this. Um, I'm not trying to make that too big, but I just know how Satan messes with people. Right? So, so fight against Satan trying to mess with you that way. All right? Okay, before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus. Attack the, the kingdom of hell more than any other way. Tell somebody about Jesus. And uh, God will honor that. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad that you are that they are here. And uh, we will not have the journey tonight. We will see you uh, Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your day.